Toronto suffered a monster blow in game one while a former member of the Maple Leafs got in hot water in round one. Can you guess which one? And it's just one of many layers to an opening round filled with lots of twists, turns, and overtime marathons. Episode 270 of the Lace Up Podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. We are going to talk about the first round thus far, and we're going to start on a very dark note. Um, a lot of Leaf fans already know what happened to John Tavares. If uh, you had the misfortune of seeing the replay, you know how yeah. that is. But uh, we're going to break down, Brett, exactly what happened and uh, where the Leafs and John Tavares go from here. Uh, very scary sight to open the series. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we're going to start off with two dark notes, which we'll get into in a second. One who was a former Leaf player. But, yes, we'll start off with John Tavares because this was probably the biggest news story this past week in the playoffs, the early playoffs so far. Uh, so John Tavares gets in a knee-on-knee collision with Corey Perry. I mean, I think there was, like, another Habs player who also, like, hit him in the head inadvertently both I mean Corey Perry has had a dirty pass um and but um if you watch it it seemed like Corey Perry was trying to avoid John Tavares it just didn't end up working that way um mm-hmm. the, the guy yep. uh, hitting Tavares initially was Ben Sherrod oh oh but Perry was the other one. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, Ben yeah. Sherrod hit John Tavares as John Tavares was falling. Got it. Perry okay. Was trying to skate by and unfortunately his leg made contact with Tavares's head. Got it. Okay. It should also be noted that I on thought top it was the other of the way concussion around. that he was diagnosed with, um, John Tavares is also sidelined with a knee injury that right. will force him to miss at least two weeks. But obviously, the concussion is. The, the more concerning part, not the knee. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, the knee part was also pretty bad, too. I mean, it was like a combination of both of them. But I thought it was the other way around, where Corey, Corey Perry was the one who hit him in the knee. But, yeah, it was the other no. way around. No. Got it. Um, but, yeah, anyways, uh, he is confirmed to be out uh, okay in the hospital. But there, even though the determination is at least two weeks, there's... Probably a strong, like very strong likelihood that he's out for the rest of the playoffs, um, even if Toronto ends up going to the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, just from the human element to it, like we really hope that Tavares is okay. Uh, this is like you know some things are bigger than sports, and um, stuff like this is just like a freak injury, and it's uh, you never want to see it. But um, you can't really blame. Uh, ben Chariot for that. It seemed like he was trying to avoid John Tavares, and also Corey Perry seemed like he was trying to avoid John Tavares. It's just like that's just how hockey goes sometimes. Um, and yeah, we hope that he's okay. I think at this point, we just hope that like John Tavares is like just can't like you know skate. Uh, that's that's all you really hope for. Um, the other parts that are kind of interesting. Um, or that, like, that's been talked about a, a while is, like, guys like Nick Foligno and um, 
pretty much like even Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, they were all saying how like John Tavares kind of texted all his teammates saying that he's okay and he's rooting for you guys or for us, uh, for them, I guess is the correct term. And, um, and I don't know, I think that's like one of those things that uh, could kind of uh, get the, the players to, to build on it in a way. Like obviously you never want this to happen, especially for your captain. But um, on the other hand, you can kind of like galvanize around it and um, you know, sort of like start to be like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna win one for Tavares and they can kind of build a, um, like a run based off of that. So there is a chance that like they could still um, do well with without him, which uh, which I guess is uh, I guess I'm gonna start with general thoughts, but then we'll start we'll talk about how t- we think Toronto's gonna do without him. But yeah, what what are your general thoughts as well, Steve? Well, it, it's it's interesting how I found out about this whole incident because I I actually was watching bits and pieces of this game, but not this part that. Um, a lot of people obviously remember, uh, rightly or wrongly, and um, ended up finding out about it during the first intermission. I tuned in, I think it was like five minutes to go in the first period. And first period ends, then the intermission segment starts, Ron McLean and everyone on Hockey Night in Canada is talking about Tavares. And it was all pretty vague, and I'm thinking, did he collapse on the bench or something? Was he rushed right. to hospital? Then I saw the play. The memory of John Tavares, visibly shaken up after that play, will get burned into your memory. Mm-hmm. Like, that is about as scary a hockey play as I've seen in all my years of watching hockey. It would pretty sad at all. And, yeah, like like you said, Brad, you just, you just hope he's okay. He's able to live his night uh to live his life normally um forget getting on the ice you you just hope for the human being that he's okay and the fact that he was able to tweet about what happened the next day and to thank everyone for their support and to text his teammates that that was a good sign that he that things could be all right but in the heat of the moment you're you're looking at the status of Tavares and him being stretchered off you're just sick to your stomach like both teams were and both both teams knew was also instant um from Corey perry like like he didn't mean to do it like it was just a freak accident like felino the reason why he fought Corey perry is because his team captain is out cold on the ice and someone's got to do something and he quickly spoke to Corey perry and he's like you, you mind you mind sailing this just like get this over with like right let, let's just settle it move and move past it and Corey Perry he, he didn't have to take on Nick Felino in that fight but uh, full kudos to him for doing that obviously people are gonna think it's intentional because it's Corey Perry right. if it was any other play if it was any other player involved in this they probably would have figured that it was a freak accident and he didn't mean it. But immediately you see Corey Perry's number and you're, you, you're just screaming, toss him out of the game. It, 
it's it's a tough play for for Corey Perry too, especially given the fact that he was teammates with John Tavares many a times with Team Canada. So he, he probably knows John Tavares very well from those international tournaments, and as I would imagine a lot of respect for him as well. And it's not easy for the Maple Leafs to win a game like this. And they didn't have the the offense, uh, the extra gusto to complete the comeback in a close two-to-one game. You saw the Leafs in game two. That Leafs team will take this series if they play like they did in game two. Obviously, it helps that Montreal took four straight penalties. But the way their power play was moving, the way they were moving the puck with authority, the way they were shooting the puck with authority, William Nylander, I think it was the 4-1 to or the 5-1 to goal, just flat out ripping it and hungry for the puck, hungry to make a difference. That is a highly motivated Leafs team in Game 2. And if we see that for the rest of the series, the Montreal Canadiens are in very big trouble. Because you look at John Tavares and his offensive numbers. He had 19 goals, 31 assists for 50 points in 56 games. That's a 73-point pace over an 82-game season. And that's roughly 70, 80, 90 points at most. That's what you'll typically get from John Tavares. In his last 19 games, heading into game one, he had 22 points. So he was starting to pick up the pace a little bit. But offensively, when you look at the Maple Leafs, you look at a guy like Mitch Marner, who is an assist machine, can just dish the puck, drives the power play, must watch threat out there. It's the same thing for Austin Matthews, except he's the guy that usually finishes those scoring chances, as seen by his 41 goals in a very shortened season. By far their most deadly sniper, and you also have a secret weapon in William Nylander, which proved to be over games one and two in this series, and to offset the leadership loss of John Tavares, who's a very quiet leader, you have guys like Nick Felino, Joe Thornton, Jason Spezza, Wayne Simmons, adding to that cohesive leadership. So I think collectively the Leafs are going to be able to find a way to perform without John Tavares, and they have to. There's no excuses for the Leafs not to perform because of this injury, because they have the talent. I think John Tavares, as talented as he was, when you talk about deadly guys to contain on the Leafs, he's probably third or fourth on that list because of how dynamic because of how dynamic Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner are at what they do. Yeah. Well, first off, uh, I as for that Felino and Corey Perry fight, I I feel like. It still was, it's still confusing to me. I know what Felino says, and I guess it's just like, that's just how it goes. But it still seems so odd to me that they even fought because there was really no need for that. I think everyone it, it agreed. Would be a different conversation. I, I, I don't know. Wait. Diff- if, if someone got hurt in that fight, it would be a different conversation. Yeah, that. but but that that's the whole point. Like, there was no point to fighting it. Like, it would be one thing, I would agree with you, if it was intentional. But it wasn't intentional. <laughs> like that's not the point of what fighting is for. If if you are to make a case for why fighting's in the league in the first place, like you're not like it felt like they were fighting for the sake of fighting. So that that part, like I know that it was just like 
Corey, good on Corey Perry to do it, but he literally did not have to do that. Um, mm-hmm. it, that that it's still the most baffling part about this whole thing. It's like, why did they even have to fight? But um, I will say, just from your other points, that um, I was actually going to make that point. Is that like, yes, uh, John Tavares is a leader and he's their captain for good reasons. But they ended up, they did get Wayne, uh, Joe Thornton. They did get Wayne Simmons. They did get um, there's a, Nick Foligno, <laughs> speaking of leaders. Um, those are, I mean, those are guys that are all, I think there's another person they got within this past years, but, um, but obviously those aren't as talented as John Tavares are, but just from a, like a leadership standpoint, um, those guys have been in the league for forever, longer, much longer than, uh, Austin Matthews have been, Mitch Marner and Willie Nylander have been. So, um, so yeah, I think just from like a skill level that can be replaced from Nylander, Matthews and Marner. And then from like a veteran experience leadership standpoint, then that can be replaced by guys like Joe Thornton, uh, Nick Foligno and, um, What's his face? Uh, Wayne Simmons. So, so, I mean, obviously, like Toronto is a better team with John Tavares on there because he does combine those two aspects of it. But, um, but yeah, I don't. I think they can still they can still beat Montreal, um, and that's what they showed in Game Two is that they were able to like uh, move past the John Tavares injury. And that's going to be something that they're going to have to do throughout this entire run. Um, and, um, if they want to go far, um, and I, yeah, I think like whoever it is, if it's Winnipeg or if it's Edmonton, they should also probably still beat them even without John Tavares. Um, however, it does get a little bit murky when they start to play like the Carolinas, the Colorados, the Vegases, uh, any team in the East. Um, I'll be perfectly yeah. honest. Even with John Tavares, it gets murky. Yeah, that that's that's also a fair point, and I was about to make it too. Is that like there? Well, that's because we you know, blank, yeah. don't you know? Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, I'm making the same points as you are, basically. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so that's. I, I don't think anything will ever actually change, but like obviously during those like you know when the, if they do make the final four, um, it's going to be tough to for Toronto to be like okay well um, they probably should they would be a better team with John Tavares um, and that's where it's going to be tough to uh, to go far. But um, on the other hand, it's like. Um, you know, uh, when, uh, Toronto did sign John Tavares, uh, you know, when they did, uh, it was kind of like, we were all saying like, okay, this was a uh, kind of unfair because they didn't really need John Tavares to begin with. They already had a good young group and Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. And this was before Mitch Marner became the Mitch Marner that we know right now or the Austin Matthews that we know right now. So, um, we were kind of like saying like how unfair it was that John Tavares was able to sign with the Maple Leafs because they're going to be a pretty good team even um, even if John Tavares went to another team. So um, so I think it's it, that just speaks to how good their depth is and stuff. And um, I will say that I think they 
there's like going to be a couple of like Toronto forwards that are probably going to have to step up now. Um, so, so that's the other thing too, but I guess they would have to step up anyways. Um, even if John Tavares was in the lineup to begin with, um, I'm just looking right now to see who that would be, which I should have done my research beforehand, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, I, I just won in the conference finals an Eastern conference team to face a normal Western conference team. Right. It's like you would never get that in the conference finals except for this year. Yeah. So I just want to see that. Yeah, yeah, and and that's that's totally fair. Um, so, yeah, right now, according to Daily Faceoff, I know they're not always reliable, but right now they have uh, Nick Foligno as the second-line center. Alex Galchenyuk, I believe, also plays some center. He's been decent um, mm-hmm. as well. Alex Kerfoot's another one. Um, so... And I guess Joe Thornton they have on the who has played center before, but he's on the fourth line left winger right now. And they also have like Jason Spezza. So if they need oh Jason Spezza is the other veteran that I was blanking on, but yeah. they have him too. And, so. and that's and that's where I think they could feel the pinch is in the faceoff doc because you look at Tavares's faceoff numbers. Yep. He's a guy that averages eighteen to nineteen minutes per game, and in each of his three years with Toronto, he went. It's like 54 to 55% of his draws. That's a good win percentage. Right. Uh, so, uh, no, speaking of centers in Toronto, um, a former center um, of Toronto is in trouble right now. Uh, I'm talking about Nazem Kadri. Uh, he hit uh, Justin Falk. It was really brutal. Um, it was like a headhunter type thing. It was like the most obvious uh, suspension call ever. What I w- which w- it wasn't surprising that he got suspended. Um, it was like an open ice hit on to Justin Falk, uh, and Justin Falk was like immediately went to the ground and couldn't get up. So it was pretty scary there. But I think Justin Falk's okay now. Um, but uh, this has been like the third <laughs> dirty play that Nassim Kadri has done for the last in, in his playoff career um somehow he doesn't get suspended during the regular season he always just does it during the playoffs uh first but, round in particular first round in particular too uh this time it's eight games uh for for that hit um which is i heard that uh, yeah. i heard that country might be appealing but i can't confirm if he's actually going to yeah i mean i wouldn't be surprised i guess but like that's basically assuming colorado like wins like sweeps um their teams i guess uh i guess he would be Oh, well, maybe if the second round was seven games, he might see the, like, the six, game six or game seven or something like that. But, um, like, that's, that's essentially, uh, two, two rounds in the playoffs, and that's, like, 20 games in the regular season if you, uh, approximately, or, like, that's, like, half of the, I mean, I guess it depends on, because you don't know how many games Colorado will end up playing in these playoffs, but... You'd imagine it would be pretty far, so it would be at least like 50% of their games uh, that he's missing due to this. Uh, so that's that's a pretty uh, hefty suspension. 
something that they should be doing to Tom Wilson, <clears throat> but but I guess it's it's good to do this now, um, and it kind of shows that maybe the NHL is taking these things more seriously. Uh, but yeah, I think that's that's really what the the fans us are really talking about is we just want it, like this is what we want, you know, we want. Uh, harsh suspensions for plays like what Kadri has done, but um, but we just want to see consistency. That's that's pretty much it. So it's like yes, that's good that we got a suspension for eight games. But what happens when Tom Wilson does something stupid? What happens when I guess I'll include Brad Marchand? What happens when Brad Marchand gets does something stupid? What happens when uh, it's you know someone else does something stupid like? How are they going to suspend that? This is what um, we just want to see consistency because we like Tom Wilson should have been suspended for that Uchnevich and Panarin uh, stuff that he did um, towards the end. So um, that's we just want to see consistency. It's good that they did it, but um, but yeah, it's uh, it's kind of crazy. Um, and then as for how the Abs will do without him. I mean, we've talked about before that the Avs, you know, they do have, like, they've been looking for forward depth before, and when they got him, that was kind of why they got him in the trade, was just because they wanted that uh, forward depth that they desperately needed. But at the same time, nowadays, they do have guys like Artem, uh, Artem, uh, (laughs) Andre Burakovsky, uh, Valerie Nichushkin, uh, even um, Alex Newhook has been pretty good now, um, so uh, they they're kind of on the right track in terms of forward depth. And um, of course, you know Miko Rantanen, Nathan McKinnon, Gabriel Landeskog are you know they're they're doing pretty well. So you don't need forward depth if your main guys are doing well. Um, but obviously, it's nice to have forward depth as well. But um, so it might hurt them, but I don't think it will affect them too much. Um, just like the Toronto um, with John Tavares. Yeah, like you look at the Colorado Avalanche, and it revolves around four guys: Nathan yep. McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, Gabriel Landeskog, Kale McCarr. That's the offensive battleship right there. Nazem Kadri is on a solid list of secondary scores like Brandon Saad, Andre Burakovsky, Jonas Donskoy. You mentioned Valentin Chushkin as well. Um, on the back end, there's Ryan Graves, Sam Gerrard, uh, yep. to name a few, Bowen Byram in the mix uh, eventually. I think the level of grit that he provides, as well as the ability to take base offs on the second or third line, is mostly what makes Nazem Kadri valuable to this team. And he definitely plays a big role. Like, he, he is a guy that can stir the pot, get other get other stars that they're going up against off their game, which is ultimately, I think, a big key to Colorado winning a tightly contested, intense rivalry. And... You look at the character of the Blues, you look at the grit of the Blues, it hasn't phased Colorado one bit. They steamrolled through St. Louis uh, in Game 1. They continued that in the early stages of Game 2. And even though they got outshot in Game 3, they were still able to find results. 
But once again, Nassim Kadri is putting his team in a very tough spot. Uh, he's not there for the team when it matters. And the, the NHL had no choice but to suspend him for as many games as he did because this, this is a case where the guy just hasn't learned. This is an elbow slash shoulder to the head that clearly makes head contact, delivers a bad result. The player on the receiving end is in a very vulnerable spot and badly injured on the play. You got to give him eight games when you look at his track record. In February 2016, he was fined $5,000. And in between that, he is. this is his sixth suspension. Yeah. His third in the first round of a playoff series. He missed 23 regular season games due to suspension. And if he serves the full eight games and it doesn't get resumed, uh, and it doesn't get resu- uh, resumed, resolved. It, yeah. If it doesn't get reduced, this reduced. current eight game suspension that he faces, he will have missed 16 playoff games over three first round playoff bans. And this is what Department of Player Safety needs to do. And you go back to Tom Wilson, and absolutely they got that wrong. And every single ruling they have delivered since shows how wrong they were with the Tom Wilson situation. But this is exactly what they need to do. And if I'm the Colorado Avalanche, this is the first time that Kadri has done this as a member of the Avalanche, I go to Nazem Kadri, have the Matt Cook talk, and say, listen, you're a good player. We like you here. We want you here. You can't do that, and if you keep doing that, your future on this team is in jeopardy. Plain and simple. This can't continue. Right. Yeah, I mean, and that's kind of why they traded him, uh, or that's why Toronto traded him to begin yeah, with. Yeah, you would think that would be <laughs> yeah. the wake-up call, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, I mean, I, I hate him as a Bruins fan because he did. he's done this same stuff twice um, mm-hmm. in two straight playoffs. Um, so, so I'm a little bit biased there, but yeah, I, I was thinking like, okay, it seems like he kind of cooled down in Colorado and all that stuff until like when this happened, where it's like, okay, I guess he hasn't learned. So, uh, so yeah, it's, uh, definitely something where it's like, what, what are you doing now? Some you're, uh, you're kind of a crazy person. Um, so I, I just looked here right now. It says that the second line center is JT Comfer. Which is interesting. Maybe that'll eventually be like an Alex Newhook or Tyson Jost. Uh, but yeah, I guess that does show that I think that eventually Colorado may have, um, may not have as many centers as we thought they would because it just has, it's basically Nathan McKinnon, JT Comfort, Tyson Jost, and Alex Newhook. Um, so, so I guess they will need Nazem Kadri. And um, however, like, the team that they're likely going to play next, which would be Vegas, uh, also has center depth issues as well. So, um, so maybe that's not going to be as big of a deal, but, uh, I don't know. It, it seems like if you're watching Colorado play, it seems like they're like, they have like, they're a team of destiny, even with Nazem Kadri and his, uh, his spectacle. So, um, so I think they're, they're going to be a good team and, um, they're not going to be as affected by by this suspension as um, as they 
may seem. Um, I guess it wouldn't be surprising, but uh, but yeah, I think they can definitely afford to uh, to do well without him. Um, all right, so now we're gonna do um, just just like an update, general thoughts on all the series that we have so far. Um, we're not gonna go too in depth with them because next week we'll do like elimination when we'll talk about like each team and why did they lose and all that stuff next week when eliminations actually happen and stuff um so we're gonna start off with uh, of course boston washington uh simply because i've paid the most attention to it for obvious reasons and it has been the most exciting series of the eight that i've watched so i think i've watched uh pretty much all eight of these series at least a couple of minutes of them. Um, so, on a, scale of one, on a scale of one to ten, how much has Tom Wilson pissed you off so far? Um, through four games. Well, there was only one incident where uh, in the game four when he uh, hit um, Nick Ritchie uh, like he did for to Pavel Buchnevich when like Ritchie was already on the ground and uh, yeah. uh, that one was pretty bad, but. Other than that, he hasn't really pissed me off. And, like, at that point, like, the Bruins were up 4-1 to one anyway. So, yeah. it's like... It was and, and like, the Caps yeah. also, in, yeah, yeah. in terms of the series, yeah, yeah. they were in an even worse spot, right? I will say I've been more annoyed by Dmitry Orlov and Garnett Hathaway. Those guys have been true scumbags, uh, particularly Dmitry Orlov, because he, uh, he basically... Uh, I headhunted Kevin Miller, like he leaded with his feet, his feet were off the ground, he hit uh, Kevin Miller, and Kevin Miller was down on the ground, he's not going to play, at least for game five, um, and get this, I mean, I was complaining to this to you on uh, in the email threads, like, they, they initially uh, gave him like a five minute major penalty to Orloff, and then they, uh, <laughs> then they, upon further review, because I guess they were reviewing it for some reason, and then they found out that they just gave it a, like a, a minor, like just for boarding or something. And it's just like, what the hell? Why, why are they doing that? I mean, I'm, I'm yeah, glad. I didn't, yeah. know you could, I didn't know you could overturn penalties. Yeah, yeah. And, and luckily it didn't end up mattering, but like, and I think the Bruins ended up scoring on that penalty anyway, so... Um, so that was good, but like that that that's like horrific officiating. Like I I know I complain about officiating a fair amount, especially during the playoffs, but um, that that's just like something that I was just so confused by why why they even like moved it down to a minor. Like if anything, I hope the board of governors are yeah. taking notes because this would be great to know for off season meetings. Yeah, yeah, and if anything, that should be like a game misconduct. It's just like I thought that's why they were reviewing it just to see how dirty it was, and it's like it was very clear that he was he was trying to injure Kevin Miller. Um, so that that part uh, frustrated me more, um, and I think that was the interesting thing. And I mean, I don't want to go through each game in particular, but. Um, I will say that, um, like, throughout this whole thing, it felt like the Bruins, like, uh, for game one, game two in particular, it felt like the Capitals had more control of the game. Um, 
and then like the Bruins in Game Three and Game Four, and and I guess even in parts of Game Two where they were like, oh yeah, we're the Bruins, where we've been a good team. <laughs> so um, it it has really felt like like Game Two, Game Three, and Game Four have really been the times when the Bruins are like, okay, we're actually a really good team, and the Capitals haven't really been as good as they've. Um, been in the you know in the regular season so I I feel like I'm feeling good about this series even if we end up losing game five I feel like I'm pretty confident that we'll end up winning one of those one of game six or game seven um, if we end up losing game five of course so um, I I think that's good um, to hear it's it's interesting I do also have more of appreciation for Elias Samsonov because he's been pretty good too. It's like uh, the other things is like the Bruins have been like out shooting the Capitals by far. And that's really been the tail of the tape of this whole series is that um, the Bruins have been shooting uh, the lights out and Washington hasn't been able to, to justify it or, you know, not justify it, but uh, combat that just yet. Of course, I mean, you know, the Capitals still have to win Game 5, Game 6, or Game 7, so it's still not over. But, um, but so far, it seems like the Bruins are doing really, really well. Um, and also, it's, uh, I do want to talk about Taylor Hall. Um, there's been a couple of uh, goals, and even when he's not scoring, he's been really, really good. Um, and, yeah, it's... Um, it's it's funny too because I just remember like back when that trade happened, uh, there was talk about like oh well t- let's just see what, how Taylor Hall is going to do during the playoffs and let's just you know like he hasn't performed in the playoffs and it won't this trade won't matter if it, if he hasn't uh, played well in the playoffs and to that I say um, well I think he has I'm actually going to look this up right now. Um, but I think he has like three three goals in these uh, in these four games or something like that. But he might have. Let me just double check. Um, okay, he has two goals in one and one assist, so three points in four games. I was somewhat close. Um, also, another development while I'm looking at the Bruins stats here: Charlie McAvoy, five assists. Um, so five points, he's leading the Bruins in points in the playoffs so far. Uh, five, uh, three of those were in game three, um, which is nice to see. And they also, I saw that they put him on power play one, uh, which is yeah, something. Yeah, series lead in, yeah. in game two. Yeah. And then the Bruins end up winning that, and then they win game three off of Samsonov gaff behind the net. It, it, anything can can happen. It could be three nothing Boston. It could be three nothing Washington. It could be two on Washington. Yeah. Who really knows after those three games? And it was absolutely pivotal for the Bruins to absolutely take it to Washington in Game Four, and that's exactly what they did. Yeah, and it, I guess it, it should be said that like the first three games were overtime games, um, especially Game Three, which had double overtime. Um, and that's uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, I think that's like the first time 
in like a long time. I don't have the stats with me. <laughs> I feel so unprepared right now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it just shows how tight they are, even if it is three one right now in this series. Um, also, before we leave off, I guess unless you have anything else to say, um, David Pasternak, uh, he has the most shots from the Bruins by far with 25 shots. The next closest is Patrice Bergeron, who has 17. He only has one goal, <laughs> which is which is kind of crazy when you think about it, that like he's been so unlucky with, with it. Uh, there was a time in game four where I thought he had it. Um, it was a power play goal. And um, so I thought he had it. And then I was like, oh, finally, Pasternak gets it. And then you you notice that Marshawn like tipped it in. So you're like you're so 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 close. And then there was like other points where like he just misses the net or stuff like that. And you're just like, uh, if he keeps if he just gets those shots. So that's kind of what I'm looking forward to to seeing is like eventually David Pasternak's gonna start scoring. Um, and I mean like assists are good too, obviously, but. Um, but I, I, I want to see some more goals. Uh, do you have anything else on the series before I move on? I think even if the Caps win game five, I, I and we'll probably dissect their season uh, next week because I don't feel confident they're going to win three straight. I guess they could. They, they have the experience from their previous playoff runs to do it, and Peter Laviolette knows a thing or two about um, turning the tables on the Bruins CC 2010 Philadelphia Flyers. Um, I, I just don't see it happening. Like the composure of Alex Ovechkin after game three, yelling at his, the gaff, um, yeah. and just the Caps' lack of offensive performance in game four. I, I don't know if they have what it takes to reel off three straight victories against this Bruins team, especially with the way this Bruins team is playing. They could maybe force overtime a couple more times, but yeah, and and yet they can make it an interesting series, an interesting finish. Um, I think the odds are against them of winning three straight, though. I just yep. don't see it. Um, so we now go to the Islanders Penguins game series. Uh, that one is two two tied. There's only been one overtime game for that. I've also kept <laughs> track of how many overtime games there are for some reason. Um, this has been kind of a pretty close series. Like, all, all four of these games have been pretty close. Um, and um, it's, which is kind of interesting, too, because you would, th- like, because they're kind of the exact opposite teams where the Islanders have pretty good goaltending, usually in defense, but not so great offense. And then the Penguins kind of have the opposite, where they have really good forwards, um, and their defense and goaltending is has been okay. And I think that's really the story of this whole thing. Is uh, Tristan Jari? Uh, so far, he has a 9.04 save percentage and a 3.04 GAA. Um, he's obviously two and two. Uh, but um, as for like the Islanders, um, Ilya Sorokin, who is only played two games. He has a 944 save percentage and a 1.76 GAA. And we're starting to see why he was so hyped uh, the past couple of years um, because he's looking really, really good. But even when like Asamian Arlamov has played, which has been the other two games, 
Um, he hasn't been okay. He he hasn't been great. Uh, he has a 903 save percentage and a 3.61 GAA. Um, so that's yeah, clearly yeah. not as good as his regular season yeah. would indicate. That's but sure. yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that he he also has been pretty good, but that, that's not true. Um, so uh, so yeah, it's it's kind of interesting that it feels like this is where Sorokin's going to start to take over as the starting goaltender, even t- until next year, even if like the Islanders end up losing this series. Um, just from the forward standpoint, though. Um, Jeff Carter, uh, he's been pretty good. Three goals um, in these four games. Um, and the other thing that's kind of noteworthy is Sidney Crosby's only had one goal in four, these four games. You would kind of expect more out of him. Uh, Evgeny Malkin has two assists in two games that he's played in. So that's, you know, I think that will be the key for the Penguins if they want to go far is getting those two guys going especially. Um, as for the Islanders, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's funny because, like, I'm looking at their point leaders list right now. Uh, John Gabriel Peugeot has four points. It seems like he always picks it up during the playoffs. And then Scott Mayfield um, also has four points in these four games. But everyone else on this team um, hasn't gotten more than four points. So, um, so yeah, I think it's... Um, it's interesting. I, I still I feel I still feel like the Penguins are gonna win this series, but I wouldn't. I, I think the Islanders are playing much better um, in these four games than the Penguins have. If the Penguins want a shot at closing this thing, they need five, and they need need to absolutely make a statement performance against the Islanders in that game five. If they give the Islanders any kind of life, if it's close. Um, maybe the Islanders, the sense of doubt creeps in, which will be pretty tough uh, for the seed of doubt to be planted because this team just isn't intimidated by anything. Like the Philadelphia Flyers uh, surging last second to force game seven. Islanders don't care. They go into game seven, they team the Flyers and they advance to the conference finals. In that series against Tampa Bay, they forced game six, and we're this close to forcing game seven, too. Barry Trotz is going to have his guys ready to play when it matters most. Pittsburgh absolutely needs game five. If they don't get it, this is done. And if the Islanders, even if they do lose game five, I still expect it to go seven games because they're going to bounce back like they always do. And in game seven, anything happens. So... I'm not going to guarantee that Pittsburgh wins this series if they win game five, but they're certainly in a much better position to win this series as opposed to them losing game five. So they need game five to have a shot on this. They have no shot if they don't get game five. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's also just comes down to goaltending for Pittsburgh right now. It's like Tristan Jari has been so inconsistent um, where sometimes he looks incredible and then other times he doesn't. Um, and I guess there, there, there was talk on Twitter that, like, he, uh, for some reason, they, the Islanders have figured him out where, like, all, his, all the goals the Islanders have scored have been on his glove side, um, which is something that you would think, like, why didn't they figure this out, like, beforehand? <laughs> you know, was it was on Matt Murray, his glove? Yeah, yeah, that, that, right, that's right, yeah. <laughs> Matt Murray, I think, has something similar. Or I think there was, a, I thought it was, like, Jordan Bennington or something like there's, or, or there's no, like no well 
It was one playoff play. It could have been the blocker side issue with Matt yeah. Murray. There was a weak point uh, with Matt Murray. It could have been his glove hand. But the yeah, yeah. one documented goaltender in his glove hand was Miko Koskin in that one year. Right, right, right. Where, like, it, the point hockey was literally documenting his weak spot pretty much what seemed like the entire season. Yeah, yeah. So that's the uh, interesting part there. Um, so the next series that we're going to talk about is uh, a game that's actually, or a series that's actually going on right now. It's still overtime. Uh, 3-3. I'm actually watching this as we speak, so if I seem a little distracted, that's probably why. <laughs> I think I'm doing a good job, though, so <laughs> we'll see. Um, but yeah, so it's it's going into overtime. Um, so Carolina currently is leading the series 2-1. Obviously, that, that will change by the time you hear it, um, hear this, uh, so we won't know that by now. But, um, but yeah, so Carolina is up 2-1. There's been two overtime games, uh, one which was uh, game for game three, and one for um, and one for today, um, right now. So, um, and that could also be a double overtime game as well. Uh, the interesting thing about this series in particular is it seems like even when Nashville's been ahead, it seems like Carolina is the far superior team. Um, like mm-hmm. as of right now. Um, I'll tell you the shot totals are Carolina has 46 shots, Nashville has 31 shots, and you know yeah. this is in overtime right now. So it's like Nashville just got to 30 shots in like and, and, in the middle even, of overtime. Even in, uh, yeah, it, they're they're pretty close in the double yep. OT game, but I believe it was still 56, 54 Hurricanes right. by the end of it. Yeah, so it's like it's insane when you think about it, like that, like. Uh, UC Saros and Nedeljkovic have definitely been pretty good, but uh, particularly in this game, it seems like UC Saros has been really, really good. Um, so so I, I think that's kind of what we predicted, was that UC Saros was probably going to steal a game, maybe two, but Carolina is going to be too good uh, eventually and all that stuff. But I am rooting for Nashville in this series just because I like watching long series and it would be interesting to see if like the home team winning each one even though this is one of those series where it's like it seems like it's really close but um carolina is just taking their time with nashville for some reason um so i think eventually we're gonna um it would be funny if like like one of these teams start scores like right after uh, we finished talking about it, which I'll I'll let you know, Steve. But um, but yeah, it's it's been a it's been an interesting series for sure. Um, also, another thing to note as I'm watching this, it seems like it's like a full stadium, like full capacity for Nashville, which is insane to me. Um, although I guess eventually Boston's going to be that way too. But like, it's kind of it's still crazy to me to see like full crowds after seeing a year. Where there was no crowds, um, but so that's kind of crazy to me too. But, anyways, going to the actual hockey, uh, Sebastian Ajo has been really good. Uh, this hasn't been updated yet for today's games. Uh, just reading the stats here, but uh, Sebastian Ajo, uh, three goals, two assists in five games. I think he got a point, at least a point in uh, game four, but I'm not sure yet. Uh, Brett Pesci has also been pretty good for some reason. 
Um, you would expect it to be like Dougie Hamilton, but um, but no, he he's hasn't been there yet. Um, but yeah, Brett Pesci has four points in three games. Um, Nedeljkovic, um, he's been he's been actually pretty good. Uh, he does have one shutout, um, and uh, he has a save percentage of nine. 36 throughout this whole series and a 1.96 GAA um, so he's been really good and kind of solidified himself as the starter so far of course um, UC Saros has has been decent um, this game though in particular that we're, that I'm watching right now has kind of shown how how good he actually is but uh, he has a save percentage of 919 and a GAA of 2.82 again I should mention that uh, the um, that this isn't updated uh, to today's game. Uh, Ryan Ellis leads the Predators in points with three points. Uh, Forsberg gets three points. Uh, also from the Nashville side, Matt Duchesne kind of proving <clears throat> why they even got him. I mean, he had a pretty disappointing season this year, but um, but he did get that overtime goal. Um, in game three and so that was a, a big reason for that it was a breakaway goal which was it was a nice goal there um, and he just also had a nice uh, chance here in this in this series but um, but yeah so it will be interesting to see the, like the resurgence of Matt Duchesne in the playoffs because maybe he can kind of um, show that he's been pretty uh, you know he's worth the contract that they gave him and all that stuff. But I think ultimately Carolina is going to win this series, even if Nashville win- ends up winning this game right now. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Just the depth of firepower, Nedeljkovic being Nedeljkovic, it's just going to be too much for the Predators to overcome. The best thing that could happen is that the top six gets going and is able to feed off of that heading into off-season training, and then they come back next year, revitalized, re-energized, and ready to go. Um, the top six on Nashville has probably been the biggest disappointment in the league for me this year. I I, I know they're capable of so much more. They haven't shown it. Uh, yeah. Matt Duchesne especially, and for him to get that overtime goal, huge for him, huge for the team as well. And, yeah, UC Saros is flat out balling. Like, <laughs> yep. the, the only reason why the Preds are, are even still alive right now. Uh, but I, I think at the end of the day, Carolina's just going to be too much for the Preds, and they'll win in, like, six games if they don't win in five. But um, it, 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 it's it's definitely nice to see that Nationals making it close. I, I just want one of Carolina, Florida, or Carolina, Tampa Bay in the next round. That would just be fresh, juicy content to sip from. And it would be fun hockey that would probably, hopefully, go seven games. Well, all you would need for that scenario to happen would be Carolina would have to win the series, which looks like that's going to happen. But, yeah, we'll see. Um, Speaking of which, uh, we're going to the Florida series. um, And this has been quite the series, even though Tampa is up 3-1 in the series. Um... And uh, there's only been one overtime game. There's been a lot of fights, a lot of chippiness going on. It's exactly like if you were to show like a casual hockey fan or someone who's just starting to watch hockey, 
anything, like, you would show them this series because it's, like, exactly what epitomizes what hockey's all about. This is probably yeah. Battle of Ontario vibes, honestly. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, but, like, even, I guess, aside from, like, Game 4, uh, which was uh, the Lightning were uh, pretty much ahead the whole time, but, like, Game 3, Game 2, and Game 1, even though the Lightning have kind of been um, dominant throughout this whole series, like, the Predators have, I mean, sorry, the, the Panthers have... Um, I've kind of, like, you know, given Tampa a run for its money, which is kind of uh, funny because, like, the Lightning have also been pretty good. Um, so I remember last time when we were talking about, like, wondering if Kucherov was going to be rusty or if Stamkos was going to be bad. Uh, turns out Kucherov's uh, still really good. Uh, he has nine points in four games. Um, it's kind of... I mean, I don't want to blame the Tampa Bay Lightning, but it's just, it seems almost unfair. Like, I know, like, Tampa probably didn't, like, purposely, like, like leave him to the playoffs to start him and all that stuff, but uh, it's just, like, this sh shouldn't be allowed, where, like, there's the, like, the Tampa Bay Lightning are so far ahead of, um, in terms of cap salary cap money, um, that, like, you know, this team wouldn't be around um, if it was in the regular season. Um, and and there's, like, I think there were, like, rumors that Kucherov was healthy for, like, two weeks before the playoffs even started and stuff, so he could have actually played, but Tampa just, like, literally couldn't play him because they, they would be over the cap otherwise. Uh, Stamkos, I'm a little bit more forgiving just because he did play a little bit uh, this year, but, um, but yeah, it's, it, it is kind of showing like, this is like Tampa was a good team without Kucherov, but now that they have him, uh, like watch out the rest of the league. It's, it's just unfair. Um, and then as for goaltending, um, I think, or for the Florida side of things, um, you know, there was that, uh, the Florida side of things, the goaltending hasn't been good. Um, I thought that Chris Dreiger was, or Dreiger, I think is how you pronounce it, um, was going to be the guy, uh, but it turns out he hasn't been as good. But Sergei Bobrovsky hasn't been good either, or he's been even worse. Um, he had, uh, Bobrovsky has a 5.33 GAA and a save percentage of 8.41. Chris Dreiger has, um, Dreiger, Dreiger. Um, has an 871 save percentage and a 3.7 GAA. Um, I think there were, I saw that there was reports that I think Spencer Knight might actually play for game five, which is mm -hmm. a good call, but I feel like it's too little too late at this point. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, and then on the other hand, on the uh, offensive side of things, uh, for Florida, of course, Jonathan Huberdeau has been outstanding. Uh, eight points in these four games. Uh, six assists, uh, two goals there. Um, Sam Bennett, or sorry, Alex Barkov. I do want to talk about Sam Bennett, but in a bit. Uh, Alex Barkov has five points in four games. Um, so the stars have definitely, their stars have definitely been performing. Um, it's just the goaltending that's been an issue. 
Oh, and uh, I do want to talk about Sam Bennett because he got suspended one game for charging Blake Coleman. Um, it was a little bit unfortunate, but it's interesting too because now Sam Bennett's kind of been like the third best forward for, for Florida. And uh, so for game two, it just seemed like if they had Sam Bennett and if he wasn't an idiot um, in game one, then they might have had a better chance of winning um, in game two than they, they had all time. So maybe the key kind of cost them the series. Of course, the goaltending had to be better, but it's interesting that Sam Bennett has been uh, pretty good even um, when he's, been, he's only played three games in this series. Uh, four points in those three games. Owen Tippett has stood out as well. He had that one goal in game one as well. Um, as for Tampa, on the forward side of things, Alex Kilhorn, uh, three three goals, four assists, seven points in four games. Victor Hedman, seven points in four games. Steven Stamkos, six points in four games. Braden Point has five points in four games. So um, I think this... It's kind of like a combination that Tampa's offense is really, really good and also that Florida's goaltending hasn't been as good as we thought they would be. Um, I feel ashamed that I even picked Florida in seven um, when I did, but I I I feel like I should have seen this coming. I mean... You figure the Tampa Bay dynasty is going to crumble at some point, right? And, right. you know, why not this year, right? Florida's a team on the rise. They're paying Bobrovsky $10 million a year. One of these years he's going to turn it around. And, <laughs> well, it's probably not going to happen this year. Um, I, I said during the previews, Tampa Bay and Florida, pound for pound, forward for forward, Defense versus defense, they stack up fairly well. Even with Keith Candle being healthy scratched and Bennett missing that one game, Florida's still a good team. And they can hang around with Tampa Bay. In fact, there were games where they outshot Tampa Bay. To me, it doesn't matter how good Tampa Bay's depth is. It doesn't matter how good Tampa Bay's stars are, the likes of Kucherov, Stamkos, Braden Point, Andre Pallad even. They have Vasilevsky. Florida can beat Vasilevsky two or three times in a series. Can they get the fourth one by him? And Vasilevsky has been in their heads. Sure, the Florida Panthers got six goals in that overtime win uh, in game three. But you look at the other games. Game two, where they only got one goal. Game number one, where it was a 5-4 game, he was making timely saves. Vasilevsky was keeping the Bolts in that game, bought them time. The Bolts did their thing in the third period. They came back, got the job done, took game one. Game two, they're able to make three goals enough because Vasilevsky only gives up one. And they gave up so many odd man chances in game three. Even then, they still had a chance to win that game because Vasilevsky was able to keep him in it and force overtime. And in game four, a game in which Tampa Bay won six to two, Vasilevsky faced 30 plus shots over the first two periods, stopped all but two of them. And on Tampa's first 14 shots, they score five times. That right there 
is taking advantage of a hot goalie. Tampa Bay knows they've got one. They're using him. They're playing with reckless abandon because they know if they get if they need a big save, they're gonna get it because Andre Vasilevsky is that damn good. And Florida has been able to reverse that fortune. Now, I will say it's a tough decision for Joel Quinville to make because Sergei Bobrovsky didn't make the big save in game one, so he turns to Chris Drieger because of what he did in the regular season. His numbers, you know, they were better than Bobrovsky's. Goals against average-wise, save percentage-wise, record-wise, just as good as Bobrovsky, maybe a bit better. So I understand why they went to Chris Drieger for that game. And even though they didn't get the win, he gave him a chance to win. So you go back to him for game three instead of rolling the dice with Spencer Knight in game three and playing musical chairs with their goaltenders. Game three comes around. Bobrovsky has to come in, and Florida's able to pull off the comeback. So you go back to Bobrovsky. He's chased before the end of the second period, and Drieger comes back in. But at that, at that point, it's too little too late, and I fully understand why they would go with Spencer Knight because Tampa, I don't think anyone, frankly, has a book on this guy. And he could go in there, play some capable starting goaltending. I think he has good, solid composure based on the action that we've seen. And he's not faced by the big situations, by the looks of it. And I think he could thrive in this situation. But now you're asking him potentially, okay, now win three streak and now win three games right. in a row and save our season. Like that's a very tall order against that Tampa Bay team that just won the Stanley Cup, that has been to multiple conference finals, that is a core that's been to multiple conference finals. That That is about as close to mission impossible as it gets for Spencer Knight. So I can see them going to Spencer Knight. Maybe they win game five. Maybe they sniff game seven, but they're not taking this series. Tampa just has too big of a lead for Florida to overcome. And Panthers had their chance to get back in the series and it was game four and they couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good way of uh, thinking about it. Um, also, before we go on to the next series, I do want to reiterate I'm more angry at the NHL for their cap recapture than the Tampa Bay Lightning because I, I like it's not Tampa's fault that they just found a loophole um, yeah. with this Kucherov they took thing. They advantage of the loophole that was there, yeah. and that's again another thing that the Board of Governors should be wanting yeah. to bring up. Like I, I know, like there, like there was an egregious thing with like what Chicago, like this should have been fixed when Chicago did it in 2015. <laughs> so it's just that that's the part where it's just like you would think like Chicago did the same thing when like Patrick Kane was injured towards the end of the year. Yeah. And, and then he comes back, and then all of a sudden, like it's like, oh right, of course the Blackhawks are good. Like they're like 20 million over the cap, um, and Tampa's in a similar spot. So. Um, oh, and, and what did the 2015 Blackhawks do? Oh, yeah, they beat Tampa to win the whole tournament. Right, right, right. So, so like, so it's not, like unless Tampa's just like thinking something nefarious, where they're like, okay, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna have Kucherov not play because he's not actually injured for the entire year, <laughs> and and then we'll have him for the playoffs because because we're evil or something like that. Like, of course they want Kucherov there, but. Um, I'm more angry at the NHL than um, at the Lightning. Um, it's just now I, I just wish the I just want the Lightning to lose because this is so unfair. Um, anyways, um, 
Let's go to uh, the next series, which is Colorado St. Louis. Um, Colorado is up three three nothing. Um, they're, they're also one of those things where this series may be over by the time you listen to this because they're currently playing right now. Um, yeah, it's it's also the same with uh, Boston Washington. Yeah, Boston who are Washington. Playing game five tonight, and Boston could clinch with a win. So. Yep. Um, also, oh, I mean that's not a clinching one, but Edmonton and Winnipeg are playing game three later on today as well. Yeah, so. and, the, and the Jets and the Jets could go up by a larger right, amount right, and win that course. game. Which we'll get to later. But. Yeah, which we'll get to later. But, um, but yeah. So so right now it's three nothing. It could be a sweep um, if Colorado wins. However, this I mean it's very well possible because St. Louis has not been good. Uh, they uh, their best. They only have three. Uh, like they have three players who are tied for the points lead um, on their team right now. And they only have two points. Uh, <laughs> One is Robert Thomas, Tyler Bozak, and Tori Krug. Um, all have two points apiece. No one has three points um, in these three games. Um, it's currently 0-0 right now. Um, oh, by the way, the the Predators-Hurricanes game is going to double overtime. Um, <laughs> so that's so that's yeah. a pair of double OT games in that series. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, it could. I guess it could go to triple overtime. But it, it is interesting how... Yeah, the, the, but still, half, yeah. half the games played have gone to at least double OT. Right, right, right. Not bad. Uh, it is funny, though, because, like, the... In back-to-back yeah. games, no less. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's also interesting, too, because, like, uh, f- for this instance, like, NBCSN was supposed to broadcast both uh, Carolina and the Colorado game. Yeah. But so, but but now like we I haven't even seen any of Colorado. I mean I, they're showing it now because it's intermission. But if for all we know, Colorado could score five yeah. goals in the first period. Right, and I would have no clue. Yeah. Right, I wouldn't be. <laughs> I guess they moved it to NHL Network. But um, yeah. as for the Bruins game, I guess what they're gonna. I guess that well, I'll watch on Nesson anyways. But I don't know what they're gonna do. That's probably the better feed anyway because yeah, yeah. you'll get the Jack Edwards wake up. Call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was I was a little bit worried about what am I going to do, but then I realized like oh right I can watch on my yeah, local podcast. You have your own feed. Yeah. Um, oh, it's going to be on USA Network. Anyways, okay. So, um, so it wouldn't be on NBCSN. Um, anyways, <laughs> going back to our regular scheduled program here. Uh, Colorado, on the other hand, well actually I should talk about Jordan Bennington um he's been kind of inconsistent like we kind of expected um 897 save percentage a GA of 3.77 although most of the goals haven't been all his fault although I guess you can say that about any goalie um but but yeah there we go there um as for Colorado um on the other hand uh Philip Grubauer has been pretty good uh, 944 save percentage, a 1.67 GAA. Um, hasn't been spectacular, but still, like, only allowed five goals in these three games. Um, and it's 0-0 right now. So, um, of course, these are stats that aren't counting the fourth game, but no goals have been scored just yet. So, um, in those three games, uh, Nathan McKinnon has been really, really good. Seven points. 
Um, five goals, two assists. Uh, Gabriel Landeskog has five assists and one goal. Uh, Miko Rantanen, five assists. Ryan Graves has stood out as well. I remember seeing him on the scoreboard and like, oh, I wonder why Kael McCarr hasn't gone in more. But uh, Ryan Graves has more points than Kael McCarr does at this point. Uh, four points in three games. Kael McCarr has two points. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, two points. And then Junis uh, Donskoy has three points. Um, so, uh, yeah, those are kind of been the leaders for the Avalanche there. But, um, yeah, I guess this is kind of to be expected. And I almost want to change my Stanley Cup pick where I feel like Colorado is going to be the Stanley Cup champion. Um, I do, I'm, and I'm not sure if it's because St. Louis is that bad or Colorado's that good, but I think they, like, you know, just thinking about it more, I'm just like, um, they they have what it takes. They have, like, the depth. They have the goalies. Of course, they have the superstar powers in the top line there, too. The defense is all there, too. It's just they have what it takes. Um, and I, I think I'm going to say that Colorado will actually be uh, the Stanley Cup champion, although... Um, I think I was just going with my Homer brain because I, I had I picked the Bruins to win, but um, just watching Colorado play, I'm just thinking like, okay, they're they're like the only team that's been dominating um, uh, for the full 60 minutes. Whereas like you know Tampa has been dominating Florida, but um, but there's definitely been points where Florida's been been in the mix. This time, Saint, even when St. Louis is scoring, it's just like. What like St. Louis just just giving up basically? It's like they're not even an NHL team at this point. They're dismantling them. So, um, so you know, I I would say I think Colorado will probably um, even when they play Vegas, um, I would assume that's going to be the the next matchup for them. But um, it might be a little bit tougher, and we'll see more about it. But I think Colorado will be able to beat Vegas. Um, in the second round, but uh, yeah, I think like even if St. Louis wins, ends up winning Game Four, uh, Colorado will eventually win um, the next uh, three games. So, um, so yeah, I think this series is kind of over, even if it's not technically over. I said when Petrangelo joined Vegas. And it was right when the St. Louis Blues parted ways with David Backus. I said, the Blues are going to feel this sooner than people expect. Look me in the eyes and tell me they don't miss Alex Petrangelo. Because you bet you bet your bottom dollar they miss Alex Petrangelo right now. I, I definitely recognize that this same Blues team with Petrangelo lost to Vancouver in the first round. And... Jordan Bennington's numbers weren't all that impressive. Right. I, I I agree with that counter-argument. At the same time, though, they're much better than a 4C team if Petrangelo is still there, in my opinion. And this is a team that, like Nashville, at various points underachieved this year. At other times, we've seen the old St. Louis Blues demonstrating their character, Ryan O'Reilly being an absolute beast, Jordan Bennington being on point, and the final six to eight weeks of the regular season, he was one of the best goalies in the league, numbers-wise. He really was. His save percentage was around 9-15, which is, which, hey, it's good. And in the first 
game and a half. Jordan Bennington was the reason why the Blues still had a chance. In game one, 50-plus shots against, like, what's Jordan Bennington going to do in, like, a 3-1, to 4-1 to game? Like, if he can't score goals and make saves at the same time, that's, that's not possible. And the first half of game two, the Blues were dormant, and the Avalanche picked up right where they left off, built an early lead. It was about 3 nothing, And then the Blues finally woke up. Midway through the second period, they finally woke up. They showed some life. They clawed back into the game. But by then, it was too late. The Avs win that game 6-3. to Blues outshoot the Avs in game three, but bang, bang, bang. In one period, Avs are already up 3 like, the Avs don't need much. They're a quick strike offense, and they can put you to sleep with a snap of a finger. And I, I just feel the Blues are just outmatched in many different ways against this Avs team. I don't think they're going to get swept. I think they're going to win this game. I think they're going to win game five. And after that, Colorado is just going to put them away. I, I think there's enough character for the Blues to put up some fight, some kind of a fight, Ryan O'Reilly and Jordan Bennington are going to lead the charge. Braden Shen as well. But I I think winning four straight is it, it's it's not it's not plausible at all for this team. Colorado just has that big of an edge and that big of a stranglehold on this series. Coming back from 3 nothing down, Colorado's going to have to let St. Louis back into this series for that to happen and I don't think they will. Uh, I do want to say, as you were talking, Vladimir Tarasenko just got a breakaway goal. Uh, so it's one nothing St. Louis. So, hey, there's the fight I was telling you about. Yeah, yeah. So, so this might be the game that St. Louis takes on. But, yeah, I, I think we're both on the same page here that I think um, even if St. Louis does win this game, uh, Colorado is going to end up winning the other one of those games uh, the next time. There's just no way they can come back. So... Um, we'll see. Um, let's go to Vegas and uh, Minnesota here. Uh, so this has been kind of a pretty close series, even though it's 3-1 Vegas. Um, and there's only been one overtime game so far. Um, Mark Stone, uh, Steve's favorite player, uh, has four points in four games. Uh, kind of showing why he's, he's the captain and, and doing so well. Alex Tuck also has three goals um, in these four games. He's kind of disappeared a little bit in the regular season, but um, he's, he's kind of showing off in this time around. The real story, though, is that Marc-Andre Fleury um, is kind of showing why he, like, he should be in the Vezina uh, competition, or the Vezina competition? I don't think that's the right word. <laughs> he, he should be a Vezina candidate. Um, yeah, obviously, conversation, conversation is, yeah, yeah. Is, is the word, but yeah, competition, yeah. I guess, would, would also work. I guess that would just work, yeah. Well, but conversation we'll, is definitely the word that's used more. Anyways, yeah, he has a, he's only given up four. He, he's, been, he's been, he's been damn good. Yeah, he's been Regular very good, very good. and playoffs, Marc-Andre Fleury has brought it. He's turned it back the clock to age 29. He's exactly. Awesome he's only given up four goals in these four games, uh, which would mean that he has a one GAA um, and a save percentage of 966, uh, which is incredible. Um, 
and uh, and he's kind of been tested throughout. He has 116 saves, so that's like out of 120 shots, so that's roughly like 30 shots per game for Minnesota there. Um, I think I just did quick math there, but um, so that's uh, that's pretty good for Marc Andre Fleury, and he's kind of been the story there. And that's what like as we're as we've been talking, like that's kind of what's needed for. Um, Vegas to go far is if uh, Mark Andre Fleury goes on a roll, or if Robin Leonard goes on a roll. That's all they kind of need is just the hot goalie, because usually that's all it takes, really. Like if you look at the St. Louis Blues, that's kind of what happened was Jordan Bennington went off. Matt Murray is another example for the Penguins, um, and um, and that's kind of what you need. So Mark Andre Fleury's been the hottest goalie so far, um, and Mark Stone's been pretty good too. And you know you have good forwards on in that group as well. Um, as for Minnesota, um, Cam Talbot's been impressive too, but not as impressive as Flower. He has a 2.52 GAA and a save percentage of 9, uh, 921. Um, and then uh, as for the, the forwards, uh, Joel Erickson Eck has kind of uh, impressed me a lot. Uh, he has two goals um, in these four games which isn't, like, you know, obviously that's not a ton, but he did get that OT winner. Um, and But, like, he's he's actually been pretty good. Um, like, even, like, when he's not scoring, he's, he's kind of shown that, like, he's kind of taken that next step, which I think we were all wondering if he would ever make um, during his time. And it looks like right now is when he'll make it. Um, Kaprizov hasn't been as good as we thought he would be. He has one point in four games, but I guess there's still time. Um, and uh, Jordan Greenway, Marcus Foligno, uh, Matt Dumba, and Jonas Brodeen all have two points as well with uh, Joel Eriksson. But um, but yeah, I think this this series is mostly just showing how good Flower is, even uh, when like last year. We were wondering if he was even the starter, um, and so uh, he's kind of proving. Remember that uh, Mark Andre Fleury's uh, agent uh, tweeted out that like he felt Vegas had stabbed a Fleury in the back uh, by getting Robin Leonard, and it turns out that you know Fleury has kind of uh, been motivated by that maybe, um, and he's playing the best hockey of his career, um, which is. Which is saying a lot because he has had a pretty good career so far, um, right now. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I'm curious to see if this will continue. But it's lo- it's looking like Flowers been pretty good so far and has been able to contain the Kaprizovs of the world. Yeah, it seems every single time we doubt Mark Andre Fleury is final days in Pittsburgh. Um, last year, how it ended with Vegas. Every single time we doubt Mark Andre Fleury, he, he just says "f them haters" and plays some of the best hockey we've ever seen him play in years, and that that's a testament to the professional that he is, and not to mention that he's just a great, fun-loving teammate that you just love to be around, and that guy thrive off of and feed off of and probably maybe get a little annoyed because his practical jokes are so off the wall, but um, it, 
like I said, just great teammate, great person. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. And this team seems to be feeding off of that. Um, the Golden Knights offense was absolutely snake bitten, dating back to game five of the Vancouver series where they got Demko the first time and then the second time and then almost the third time, but also they did get Demkoed because the only reason they won that game was because Robin Leonard pitched a shutout. And then they get shut out in the first game of this series, even though Marc-Andre Fleury plays as well as he did. And up until the one nothing goal in game two, I believe it was, which was scored by, guess who? Former Ottawa Senator and current Vegas Golden Knights captain Mark Stone. <laughs> Again, making the big plays count. That's what Mark Stone does. But Marc-Andre Fleury gave them enough time to get their offense going. Vegas' offense is starting to get going. And even in game four, where they get outshot 35 to 18, hey, doesn't matter. Guess what? Vegas wins 4 nothing because Marc-Andre Fleury. He's, he's just been the storyline for this series and the reason why Vegas is in the position that they're in. And now they have three chances to finish off Minnesota. I think Minnesota is going to put up one heck of a fight and they, and if Cam Talley gets hot, he could, he could pull off a Demko and force a game seven all by himself. Um, I, I think Vegas just has enough depth and experience to get it done. So I still think they're going to win. But I'm not counting out Minnesota to at least make this a series. I think they will. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Uh, we'll see. Um, so the next series, uh, we kind of already talked a little bit about, but I'm at the beginning of the show, but we can talk about the actual hockey that, that's been going on in the Toronto and Montreal series. Uh, that's 1-1 apiece uh, so far, and uh, rightfully for game one, um, you know, People were a little bit distracted, uh, rightfully so, because of what happened to John Tavares and, you know, making sure that everything was okay. But I think after, you know, during game two, it was just like, okay, we're, we understand that John Tavares is healthy and he's, he's, he's doing okay and he's not, like, dead or anything. So, like, they were able to, to go, go on and move on and stuff. And so... Because of that, it felt like there were two different games where um, in game one, the Montreal Canadiens kind of took control of it, um, unintentionally, of course, but, um, and then um, in game two, like the Maple Leafs uh, started to prove why they are, they're the be- they've been the best team wire to wire in the Canadian division um, so far. So, um, so yeah, the, um, in terms of, the stats and stuff. Montreal um, has only had two, uh, three goals um, in these two games so far. Uh, Jesperi Kotkinemi, Paul Byron, and Josh Anderson got those goals each. Uh, and uh, Tyler Toffoli and Joel Armia both have two points of, or assisted on both the, uh, two of those goals, I should say. Um, interestingly enough, is Kotkinemi, I guess, didn't play in game one um, and ended up uh, scoring his first goal of the playoffs in game two um, pretty early on as well. Um, 
And uh, yeah, so that's pretty interesting. Um, and then um, as for Montreal, um, in terms of Carey Price, he's he's given up five goals in these two games, um, but he has a uh, 9.28 save percentage and a 2.6 a GAA, so that's not too bad. Um, and then as for Toronto, um, Austin Matthews got going in the second game, uh, one goal and two assists. Um, William Nylander has two goals and one assist. I think he scored in the first game as well, so so maybe there's that. Um, and Mitchell Marner has two assists. Uh, Morgan Riley has two assists. Um, so yeah, so there's, there's some... Um, so I guess the, the guys that are scoring are, you know, the big guys that are scoring are scoring for Toronto. Um, and, and Jack Campbell's been been pretty good. He's only given up three goals in these two games, kind of what we've been hoping to see out of Jack Campbell um, in these playoffs. So, so we have that going for us there. What's your thoughts on the uh, Toronto-Montreal series? It's definitely good that Toronto's goaltending is keeping pace with the other opponents. Uh, that's something that in other series it looked early on that the other team's goalie looked better than Toronto's. And Jack Campbell, like you said, to his credit, three goals against in two games, I would qualify that as holding his own, especially against Carey Price, who when it comes to performing in the playoffs is probably one of the best at his craft in, in terms of history i would say in our generation um that definitely says a lot that you can hold your own against carrie price the question for toronto moving forward is can they match montreal's heart you saw paul byron and the game-winning goal that he put on shorthanded where he's basically on his knees and like taking three strides on his knees and he's able to beat jack campbell despite those odds that is heart you look at what Montreal has done in previous playoff years. A lot of that is heart and belief in the team. Okay. And I think in order for the Montreal Canadiens to go out there and beat the Toronto Maple Leafs, they're going to need to have a lot of that heart. Toronto's got to be ready to counter that. Because like Nick Foligno and the Columbus Blue Jackets, again... Heart, belief in the team, that's what they had. They rode that straight to game five, and a playoff series upset went over Toronto. Or a play-in series, I should say. And they made it a close, tight race against Tampa Bay because of heart and belief in their vision, belief in the team. So I feel this year is going to be different. As I said earlier in the John Tavares discussion, if the Leafs played the determined amount of hockey that they played in Game 2, I think they can take control of this series. The big test is Games 3 and 4 in Montreal. I think in order for the Leafs to really send a message, they need to win both of those games and take no prisoners in Game 5. But at first, they need to take Games 3 and 4. If they go for a split, I'm still nervous as a Maple Leafs fan. But I'm hella confident if they can take both three and four in Montreal. Well, I mean, you can kind of say that for every series. It's like it's not really a series until the uh, road team has won. Although, I guess, technically in this series, it's not really a series 
because you know Montreal won a road game already in game one. But I yeah, I don't think this is like um, a nail in the coffin um, for Toronto as much as anything. But yeah, I agree with you that Toronto does need to win uh, these next two games uh, at least. Uh, they don't want to give Montreal any hope uh, whatsoever. Um, which yeah, it, I, it's, yeah, it's just been a seesaw battle. Like in the games against Boston, the games against Columbus last year, no team like really had control. It was very back and forth yeah. until the final game, which we all know how that ends for Toronto. So yeah. for, for them to avoid a situation, if you get games three and four in Montreal, even with no fans in the stands, so like I don't know if like home ice advantage is really gonna impact the least ability to win in Montreal. Yep. At the same time, though, you have three chances to finish off Montreal. That's a lot better than one or two. I do find what's interesting that might have an effect on the series is that uh, Game Three is on Monday and Game Four is also on Monday. Yeah, that's right. Uh, or sorry, it's there on was- Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah, they they did mention at the start of the series that game yeah. three and four is a back to back. Yep. Which would be even better for Toronto to, uh, to get that sweep because all of a sudden in a span of forty hours, Montreal goes, okay, we like our chances to we're one loss away from right. our ser- from our season just ending like that. Right. I mean, no. I mean, it's also interesting just because like usually like in. During the playoffs, you don't really need a backup goalie. You can just get by with having your starting goaltender do really, really well. Kind of like what the uh, Lightning are doing with Vasilevsky. But like for back-to-backs, you might have like you might have to rely on Jake Allen. You might have to rely on Frederick Anderson um, for a game and and see how that goes. So um, so that will be interesting to see there. Um, also. Uh, the same goes for Edmonton and Winnipeg. I'm not really sure why it's just for the Canadian division. Maybe because they're trying to make up the games that they lost because all the other one, all the other series are ahead by a lot. Um, but uh, Edmonton and Winnipeg have a game. Game three is on Sunday, and game four is on Monday, and then the rest of the time it's one uh, every other day. Um, so, so yeah, I don't know why Game 3 and Game 4 are back-to-backs in both these series, but that's the interesting part to it. Um, so that, that leads us to Edmonton and Winnipeg. Um, we have... Um, we have... Uh, the inter- This has been, like, a series that we didn't really expect, which is, like, you know, maybe in retrospect we should have, like, credited Connor Hellebuck more because we kind of, like... We just assume that Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and Ryan Nugent Hopkins and, you know, all the guys that Edmonton has um, would just be too much for Connor Hellebuck, no matter how good he is. But, you know, I've been, I've watched this, uh, most of this series, and Winnipeg's actually been pretty good defensively, um, interestingly enough. so uh, Winnipeg's up two nothing um, in the series. There's been one overtime game so far, but um, but like it's, it was like a one nothing game in game two. Um, the the Oilers have only scored one uh, one goal in this entire series, and McDavid and Leon Drysaddle have not been a part of that. 
Um, it was a Jesse Pugliarvi goal uh, with uh, Tyson Berry and Darnell Nurse assisting from it. Um, so, so no centers for the Edmonton Oilers have scored at all, um, which is just the most surprising part of this playoffs. And we could have led off with it. It's like, what's going on with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl? Um, and it's really tough to see to tell, but like, I think it's partly when you're watching this, you see that like Winnipeg's like playing a lot better defensively. Of course, Connor Hellebuck's a really good goalie and arguably the best goalie in the league. So maybe there's something to do with that. But it does seem like Winnipeg has kind of like started to like figure out Connor McDavid, which um, which is probably I'll probably be eating my words. Um, <laughs> like even like as soon as like today <laughs> because uh, Connor McDavid has the potential to like have a five point night or something like that or Leon Dreisaitl has that as well um, so um, so it's definitely surprising and I think they were saying that like Connor McDavid has never gone three point uh, three games without getting a point um, which is incredible when you think about it so he's bound to get one um, this this time around, but it's all the pressures on Connor McDavid. They're not the Oilers and McDavid are not making it easy on themselves. Um, I am if I were an Oilers fan, I would be a little bit nervous, um, just because like as I mentioned before, it's not a series until the re- like the um, the road team wins and the road team has won twice, um, but at the same time, you do have the best goal, uh, the best player in the league by far, and Conor McDavid, and then you have the best, uh, arguably the second best point getter, I guess you could make a case for McKinnon or Matthews, but Dreisaitl's in the mix there for sure, so you do have really good forwards, but now it's the playoffs, you know, it's, um, this could uh, alter, like if the uh, Oilers get swept, this will change how people look at Connor McDavid. It'll be like uh, Alex Ovechkin before he won the Stanley Cup, where he's like a really good regular season player, but but we're not going to pay attention to him until he proves that he can win a round or win a game in the playoffs. Um, and uh, this is where it all matters, and um, all the pressure is on for McDavid. And this is where we show how good he actually is or if he's just like a regular season guy um and i would bet to say that he's he will perform in the playoffs and but the pressure's clock's ticking pressure is going on for him and we'll see how it goes oh we've 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 talked about this for like many teams like Tampa Bay and Columbus, how many times have we talked about that? And then next year, Tampa goes out, proves that, that they're the real deal, and Kucherov and Stamkos, uh, yeah, without Stamkos, you know, the likes of Kucherov and Point, they're able to deliver, Vasilevsky's able to deliver. Um, this is just another stepping stone, another massive test for Connor McDavid and the Oilers. And whether or not they pass or fail, it better lead to success down the road. Because the last thing you want is like, okay, maybe this year they'll learn and then they don't. Oh, then the next year is going to be different and then it isn't. But maybe the year after that will be and then it isn't. Right. Like, it's just a repetitive cycle of losing. Um, and you know what? At least the, the Edmonton Oilers are getting to the playoffs now, which is good. But this is where you need 
Connor McDavid in these type of situations. I, I also think this series is also partly on the hockey gods because of how badly the Oilers smited the old Winnipeg Jets, who won, like oh. I said, in six playoff series as the old Winnipeg Jets. They beat Edmonton four times in 26 wow. meetings, I believe, and they lost all six playoff series. And now they're up 2 nothing after only giving up one goal, despite Connor McDavid absolutely owning you and essentially being your dad for the entire regular season. Like, I don't know how that's possible, but they've been able to either shut down Connor McDavid or the Edmonton Oilers are overthinking things too much. Maybe it's a little bit of both. So one thing I will say is that in game one, where it looked like the Oilers were searching for answers against Chicago last year. What did McDavid do? He got a hat trick the very next game. And of course, the, the Blackhawks ended up winning the series after that, but that's beside the point. He had a big statement game after that. People were looking for that in game two. They didn't get it. The Oilers got shut out, which I think is a bigger question mark than the first game was. And people can say, oh, Mike Smith hasn't been matching Connor Hallibuck safe for safe. He's, he's been trying, like, I mean, you're only getting one goal on the Hellebuck in two games. Like, again, what's your goalie supposed to do to counter that? Right. Like, like Mike Smith is a good puck handler, and he scored goals before, actually. But he can't do it all by himself. So, uh, I, I just can't believe it could be happening to the Oilers again, where they go to the playoffs and have these great aspirations and then within a span of a week, they get shot down from the sky. Uh, I, I, I can't explain it, really. So, game three, the Oilers got to figure it out. And I think they're really on the ropes. Well, I think it goes without saying. They're really on the ropes that they lose game three. And at that point, the Winnipeg Jets are in their heads. And they have four chances to, to seal the deal. I think for Connor McDavid and the Oilers... Um, Game three is huge. Like they need, at the uh, they need a statement win. Like beat you know, beat the Jets by like four or five, six goals. Get a win on the board. Get some confidence going and carry that into game four. If it's even a close game, I still think the Jets like their chances, and they're going to come out in game four with the same type of shut McDavid down type of energy. And they're still going to continue to play their game, and they'll get into McDavid's head even further. For whatever reason, um, the Oilers don't have an answer for the Jets, where it seemed like they did all regular season long. And there are a lot of things uh, from various sides of the ice that have plenty to do with that. But I, 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 I. I'm baffled to describe the the uh, the Jekyll and Hyde situation with McDavid regular season versus playoffs. It it's it's starting to get to that territory of like head scratching does not compute. Right. Yeah. That's that's a fair point. And and to be fair, it's only been two games. Also, Connor Hellebuck is a really good goaltender, so it's mm-hmm. like it, it could be possible and stuff. We just thought that like. McDavid's been the best player we've seen since uh, Sidney Crosby, even arguably even better than that uh, since like Wayne Gretzky even. So 
Um, so like, there's still time. It's only been two games. It's like I, I, but I will say if like McDavid doesn't score in game three, yeah, then it's like oh, <laughs> we're gonna have to change and, our and narrative. That, on that point is yeah, for it's very reminiscent of how the t- the the Lightning were um, their regular season before they won the cup. Um, in 2019, when they yeah. just get swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets. It's like we were celebrating them all year, and then they just lose in the first round or something like that. Except I would argue yeah. it's even worse because right. the Lightning scored three goals in the first period of Game 1. The Oilers yeah. have scored one goal all series. Yep. I will say I was just looking up uh, Connor McDavid's playoff stats in the past. Um, he, had, he had nine points in four games last year in the bubble. And yeah. then he had nine points in 13 games um, uh, in uh, his, like, 2016-17 year. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And, so and it's And that's it's not actually like, won a playoff yeah. round against San Jose and, and almost right. beat Anaheim, too. So, like, that yeah. is where they really came close to, like, elevating their game. Yeah, that was, that was his second year in the league. Um, so, so that's um, – I guess it just shows that, like, it's not – it's not like he's like doesn't perform in the playoffs. It's just he has to perform this year just to cap off his uh, phenomenal regular season. Um, I do uh, I do want to talk about because we would be remiss to not talk about the goalies because this has kind of been a goalie duel these past two games, um, which is kind of surprising because you wouldn't expect that out of these two Canadian division teams and both Winnipeg and Edmonton, of course, are known more for their forwards than um, than their defense, but. Um, Mike Smith has been really good, 946 save percentage and a 1.45 GAA has kind of kept them in it, um, Edmonton in it, uh, these two games. Um, he's only given up three goals. Um, and then Winnipeg, uh, Connor Hellebuck has only given up one goal um, in these two games, uh, 0.5 GAA um, and a 0.986 um, as a save percentage. Um, so... So, yeah, I mean, we knew that Connor Hellebuck was going to be good um, just because he's Connor Hellebuck. Of course, like, you know, you have McDavid, you have Dryside also that, you know, and they're capable, those guys are capable of scoring like five points a night. So, so that's, I'm probably eating my words. But again, like the other Connor um, is showing that he's actually also really good and an, a superstar in his own right. Um and then as for forwards, um, on the Winnipeg side, Blake Wheeler has one goal and one assist. Uh, Paul Snazny did get that overtime goal. So so there's that. Um, and then, let's see here. So Mark Scheifele, Nate Thompson, Tucker Poolman, and Kyle Connor all, all also have two points with Blake Wheeler. Um, so they all tie for the lead there um, in points. But yeah, it's a low-scoring series, which is surprising considering that Winnipeg and, um, and Edmonton score, usually score a lot. Um, I guess this is what happens when they don't play uh, Vancouver, Ottawa, or uh, Montreal even. So, um, so I guess that, that's what happens. Um, or Calgary is the, the other team that they beat up on. Um, also, I do want to say that, um, and I'll break the news to you, Steve, uh, Luke Cunning gets the overtime winner. Uh, there was five minutes left in double overtime. 
um, and UC Saros had 58 saves, which is incredible. Um, and so, so 50, 58 yeah. saves on 61 yeah. shots. So this was one of the games yeah. that so, so he, Nat, uh, UC so Saros stole, which yeah. is what we were expecting. But yeah, so he stole yeah. in two games. Well, I don't know if he stole the game three, but yeah, I guess you could say he stole in two games. But but yeah, it's uh, yeah, it was it was crazy. Um, so so there's that. Um, and yeah, so you can uh, follow us on. Uh, we're we're looking forward to these playoffs. You can follow us on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up, and uh, you can listen to us on SoundCloud, on iTunes, and Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts. Um, at just Lace Them Up. Um, I'm Brett Dubuff. Oh, and subscribe I, to us there. Um, I'm Brett Dubuff. I'm Steve Ellsworth, and we'll break down lots more overtime madness, playoff eliminations, so much more when we talk again in episode 271 of the Lace Month Podcast.